From the lowest to the highest, from the furthest to the nearest, from the smallest of the smallest to the greatest of the greatest, yoga is about all of life, everything we do, all of existence. My name is James Bogue. Welcome to the Whole Life Yoga Podcast. Hello, namaskara. Welcome to the Whole Life Yoga Podcast with me, James Bogue. Today, I'm going to be considering the question, why yoga matters. Now, this word yoga, in recent years, in recent decades, it's become more familiar in many parts of the world. And the word yoga has entered many languages, including English. And in English, yoga is a four-letter word. And like many four-letter words, <laughs> yoga gets used rather casually in ways that I would say distance us and estrange us even from its true depth and power. Yoga, four-letter word in English, but two syllables. And yet yoga means unity. It means oneness. It means unification. And so yoga having two syllables, at a certain level, it symbolizes how when we work with the different pairs of opposites that characterize our human experience and weave them into togetherness, this is the process of yoga. So yoga as a word, what does it mean? What does it really point to? Well, yoga is the practical time-proven method to cultivate unity, balance, equipoise, integration here now in this reality, in this incarnation, here on the earth, in this human existence in which duality and pairs of opposites are part and parcel of our experience. What is life? It is a breath cycle. It is a heartbeat. It is pulsation. It is expansion, contraction, day and night, up and down, and so on. And these pairs of opposites, pleasure, pain, gain, loss, and all the rest of them, these are inevitable. Yoga tells us these comings and goings, that's just part of the game. That's part of what it means to exist in nature. What is nature after all? Think back to the Latin roots of this English word nature. Nat means that which is born. We are nature. This is one of these very strange, ridiculous ideas that has penetrated human consciousness that we are somehow separate from or different from nature. This is just craziness, madness, because we are born and we will die. And in between those two great changes, we will be subject to constant change, just like everything else in nature. So nature is the realm of duality, of birth and death, of day and night, of the summer and the winter, of these contractions and expansions. And yoga, the teachings of yoga, the perspectives of yoga, all came from the observation of nature over many, many, many generations. There were these ancient research scientists, sometimes referred to as rishis, ones who saw, ones who came to a clear perception of the reality of existence. And then they set down 
their findings and their teachings in various forms that were useful for other human beings. And these findings then came together to form this body of practical teachings that make up what we might refer to, or what I will certainly refer to, as yoga. This body of cohesive, distilled, time-proven principles that we can work with to invite deeper harmony, integration, balance, and equipoise here, now, in the thick of life. There are many misperceptions and misconceptions around yoga. And one of them is that yoga is for people who renounce the world. For the forest dweller, the person who checks out and goes and lives in a cave. Now, it is possible to pursue a yogic path in the forest hermitage or the mountain retreat. But yoga is just as much for the person living in the world as for the person, those rare human beings, for whom it is appropriate to live at one remove from the rest of society. It is not by coincidence or by accident that perhaps the most treasured text of the yoga tradition, the Bhagavad Gita, is set where? On the battlefield. A situation so challenging, so stressful, that it basically tells us, it encodes the idea, there is no situation too charged, too demanding, too challenging, too stressful for yoga. On the contrary, bigger the challenge, bigger the opportunity. When we are faced with the battle, that conflict between those different parts of ourselves that pull us in different directions, this is the great opportunity to summon, muster, and discover, uncover, and remember our amazing innate capacities to actually foster yoga, to bring about togetherness in the midst of all this apparent chaos, conflict, change, and tumult. When I was a boy, one of my friends had some toys which were called Transformers, and I believe there are cartoons and even films now about these Transformer characters. And when I was a kid, there was a cartoon series on the TV, and the theme tune said, Transformers, robots in disguise. Now, I never had any Transformer toys, but my friend did. And he had a Transformer that was a car, and then he transformed it into a robot. Another one was a building, he transformed it into a robot. Another one was a boat. When you change the boat into the robot, or the building into the robot, or the car into the robot... You do not destroy the toy, you just reshape it, reform it, reconfigure it. So I often say, human beings, yogis in disguise. What is a yogi? Another four-letter word that's somewhat abused in my opinion. A yogi means one in whom there is yoga. A person established in yoga is a yogin. We could also use it to a person who is cultivating yoga. And from a certain perspective, every human being is at least a little bit a yogin because what does our very bodily form demonstrate to ourselves and everything around us? We have an amazing capacity to integrate and bring together into dynamic equilibrium so many different parts, so many different forces. What are we if not an amazing conglomeration of cells functioning together really rather well? And 
What are all these cells? They are constituted of so many different things, and yet they can sit together in this amazing dynamic equipoise and give us this bodily vehicle through which, in which we can have this conscious experience of a human birth. And what an amazing reality this is. So amazing. And yoga gives us a practical frame, a practical structure to engage with the wonder, the mystery, the beauty, the depth of existence and do what we can to fathom it and remember the true depth of who we really are. So I often say yoga is about remembering, remembering who we really are, where we really come from, what we are truly made from. And remembering means bringing all the members of the gang of our being into togetherness, into yoga, so that we can actually experience the wholeness, the fullness that is so much greater than the sum of our parts. Yoga recognizes that we're constituted of different parts. So I've said already, yoga means unity or unification. Okay, so then what are we unifying? What do you mean yoga means unity? Well, sometimes you might, we can encounter ideas like yoga means becoming one with the supreme reality or one with all of consciousness, one with everything. Now, this idea lands differently with different people. Some people think, wow, that sounds amazing. Other people think, what on earth does that mean? Other people think, well, I don't know how I'm going to do that because, first of all, I don't really recognize who I am that well. I don't know myself that well, and I certainly know what ultimate reality is. So how am I going to join or integrate or become one with two different things that neither of which I really fully understand. Good point. Yoga says, let us just start where we are. This is a very important thing to recognize about the yoga method and the yoga tradition. It is ultra pragmatic. We are always encouraged to work from gross to subtle, but we just start where we are and we do what we can to foster integration, balance, harmony, here and now, as best as we possibly can. So if we want to remember ourselves, yoga offers us a method to invite all the members of the gang of our being to participate together in attunement and at one in this here present moment. So who or what are these members of the gang of our being? Well, yoga, as well as being a state, it's a method. And this method is related to what is called in Sanskrit a darshana, which means a perspective, a way of looking at reality. And the yoga darshana, the yoga perspective, works with principles that are also encoded in another school of another perspective from the Indic tradition called Sankhya. And the Sankhya yoga model of reality sets forth an evolutionary map of our existence. And this map reminds us that when we're human beings, we have these amazing capacities, these powers. We have action capacities to express ourselves. We have powers of speech and communication. We have manual capacities to shape, to form, to craft, to build, to pick things up and put things down. We have locomotive movement capacities. We have capacities to digest and assimilate 
and eliminate and excrete things that no longer serve us. And we have recreational capacities. We can recreate our understanding of who we are. Recreation, in English, is sometimes associated with play. And when we play, one of the beautiful things that can sometimes happen is that play invites us into new experiences. When we play, we might move in ways we've never moved before. And so our ideas about the limits of how we can move become somewhat challenged, even dissolved. So when we approach life with the spirit of play and wonder and curiosity and inquiry, we can invite ourselves into this recreational space. We can actually reform our understanding of who we are and actually remember more of the fullness of who we are. So we can begin to dissolve and wear through some of the confining, limiting, conditioned ideas that we have perhaps become associated with. So we have these action capacities and we also have our sense capacities of hearing, of touch, of sight, of taste and smell. We are constituted of earth, water, fire, air and space. You might think, what a minute, I'm not made of fire. But think about it another way. There is an earthy aspect to us, some solidity. There is a watery aspect to us. Sometimes people say, oh, we're 70% water and a tremendous percentage of our cells are water. Or in a liquid form. And there is a fire inside. We've got an internal combustion engine that heats us and digests our also helps digest our food, the digestive fire. We are airy beings in the sense that we are breathing beings. And we exist in space and there is space within us. So we have these five elements. But think about that for a moment. Is that not also a thing of great wonder? If I go to the beach and I pick up some seawater and some sand in a plastic bottle, a clear bottle, after a little while, what happens to this sandy, earthy part of it? It all sinks to the bottom. The earth and water separate. If I have a fire under the stars and then the rain comes, it's not that easy for fire and water to coexist. So earth and water, often they separate if we put them together. Fire and water don't always sit together so well. And yet in this microcosmic field of our bodily vehicle, earth, water, fire, air and space are all cohering in this amazing dynamic equilibrium. And so this is the proof that, or one of the proofs, that we have this capacity for yoga. We have the capacity to reconcile and bring together things which at first and sometimes second, third, fourth glance might seem difficult to reconcile and bring together. And so this brings me to the crux of what I want to share today, which is why yoga matters. If we look out into the world, or if we look deep into the field of our own psychic reality, we may notice places of conflict, places of division and fragmentation. And when we look out at the world, for example, we may see that certain forces that seem to exacerbate or even stimulate greater division and fragmentation are present, are operative. 
what to do about it. Yoga is always very pragmatic. Once we have identified a problem, yoga tells us not to go on analyzing that problem ad infinitum, but rather to channel our energy positively towards a solution. Rather than focusing on what we are against, let us bring together our energy towards what we are for. Let us move towards a solution. Let us build on the situation that we have experienced up to now and bring it forwards into something perhaps more beautiful than we might even have dared dream was possible before. And when we do bring all the different constituent parts of our intelligence and awareness together, we often find that we are capable of enacting and embodying and bringing forth ways of being that are different from that which we have known before. And this brings me to another idea which relates to this idea of our recreational capacity. Sometimes I say, as human beings, we have the capacity to womb it. What do I mean? When This is one of the great qualities of the mother, and the archetype of the mother is one of the great archetypes of ultimate reality in the yoga tradition. The mother knows how to womb it. What do I mean by this? The mother knows how to bring forth something more beautiful than she would ever have dared dream was possible from within the existing structure, without tearing it down, without destroying it, but actually by enhancing it in the process and bringing forth more of its deeper beauty and capacities in the process. And we have this recreational capacity as human beings. We can womb it. We can give birth to something more beautiful than we've ever experienced up to now. How? By working with what is with creativity. By giving ourselves permission to be part of something beyond the previously known. So we don't need to tear things down to destroy what is not quite optimal to move towards something that is more optimal. And so this is why another thing I often share when I'm teaching is that yoga asks us to become evolutionaries and to evolve beyond our revolutionary inheritance. What do I mean by this? Our revolutionary inheritance. We see this throughout history. Human beings do not like a particular system. We rail and fight against it. The system is overthrown. And what replaces it? Something very similar. The same type of tyrannical imbalance, just with different names. This is our revolutionary history. And this revolutionary history is the swinging from one extreme to another. And what we notice is that any extreme, when you take it to its extreme, it just crumbles into the opposite extreme. But where do we want to live? We want to live in the sweet spot of the center, the place of yoga, where the seeming pairs of opposites meet and come together and get to know each other so intimately, so beautifully, that they can actually draw forth each other's complementary potential in a way that would not be possible without the support and the input of that opposing force or that polar opposite, we might say. 
So one image of this is of a marriage. The man and the woman come together and they have different qualities. But when they meet and they really allow themselves to open to the other and be present and give to the other, then they can draw forth qualities from each other, so beautiful and so mutually supportive. And then something is created that is greater than the sum of the parts. And the same thing can happen with any pair of opposites. So for example, one form of yoga practice technique that has become relatively familiar or well-known to many people is yoga asana or yoga posture practice. Now, the classical definition of yoga posture practice demonstrates the efficiency of yogic teachings as they are encoded in the traditional Sanskrit yoga texts. In the Yoga Sutra, one of the foundational texts of the yoga tradition, there is a very beautiful definition of yoga asana, the seat of yoga, the posture of yoga. And that definition is Stira Sukham Asanam. Asana, the seat of yoga, is at once Stira, meaning steady, and Sukham, which means easeful. But literally, Sukham, Kham means space. Su, as a prefix, means good, so good space. Stira, steady. You can see and hear the influence of Sanskrit coming through the Latinate languages into English here. So, Stir. This has given us words like still, steady, stable, standing. Stira, steadiness. Sukham, easefulness. Now for a moment I invite you to consider what would it feel like to embody extreme total stira, steadiness? What would it feel like to embody extreme total sukham, easefulness? So for example, if I'm sitting on the ground or standing on the ground and I try to make myself ultra steady, I might try and make myself very rigid. So if someone to come and try and push me, they wouldn't be able to push me over. But if I try to root down into the ground with tremendous force and I'm tensing all my muscles, is that sustainable? <laughs> no. After a while, I will start to shake and then I will collapse. And so my extreme steadiness collapses into the opposite pole. Similarly, and that might be lying on the ground in some kind of strange collapsed position. But if I lie on the ground in some strange collapsed position, will it be easeful and relaxing? Perhaps for a few moments, but then before very long, it's likely that if I've just collapsed onto the ground and I stay there for a few seconds or a few minutes... Part of my, my arm will go to sleep. I'll feel numbness here. I'll feel some stiffness. The posture will ossify and it will get stuck. And so it's no longer easeful. And so this tells us, this reminds us, the only genuine steadiness is one that is infused with sufficient easefulness that is actually sustainable. And similarly, the only genuine easefulness is one that has a certain stability, resilience, and robustness to it, so it can actually be sustained. So we need the pairs of opposites to actually come to that sweet spot of the center. And yoga practice teaches us, invites us to cultivate our capacity to develop a more robust centeredness. And so one of the foundational ideas is we have to acknowledge the pairs of opposites.
And so this is one of the reasons why yoga matters, why yoga has so much to offer us here and now in the 21st century, at a time in which ism, schism, divisive thinking seems to be being amplified by many forces around the world. When we lapse into an extreme sectarianism of any description, misery lies around the corner. We cannot have a sustainable well-being in any extreme. We have to bring ourselves into that place of reconciliation if we are truly to know the deep harmony that our souls long for and that we have the capacity to bring into being as humans because we do have this capacity to reconcile and bring together things that would seem perhaps impossible to reconcile and bring together. And so this is the call of yoga. Let us have the courage and the presence to face the whole spectrum of who we are as individual human beings with all of our amazing inheritance, with all its beauty and its, what we might say, our shortcomings or processes that are still in the, in the process of evolution. And yoga asks us to step boldly into this space of the evolutionary. So I'm going to leave it there for today. There will be another episode next week at the same time. And I will continue exploring themes along these lines of what yoga is, why it matters, how we can work with its time-tested principles in the reality of our lives today. And I'll explore this in lots of different ways. As the podcast goes on, sometimes I'll work with songs, with poems. I'll mention books that have impacted my life and affected my perceptions of reality. And I'll talk about many of the different principles, teachings, texts, stories in the yoga tradition that make it so practical and so valuable for any human being who is interested in cultivating greater harmony in the dynamic reality of our human lives now. So thank you for listening. If you would like to work with me in more depth, check out my website, www.3w.jamesbogyoga.com. I offer courses Inline, online immersions, in-person retreats and workshops. And there's all sorts of resources on the website too. But for now, I will say thank you for listening. And I hope you'll join me on the next episode and future episodes. And may we find the courage to walk a path of remembering with grace and gratitude and curiosity. Om Sarvesham Swastir Bhavatu Sarvesham Shantir Bhavatu Sarvesham Purnam Bhavatu Sarvesham Mangalam Bhavatu Om Shanti Shanti Shanti